I'm Alicia Michalisek-Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we'll hear a story from Jed Grant, a physician assistant from Northern California whose story takes place on Christmas Eve night. That's because in emergency medicine, we work all the time. It doesn't matter if it's Tuesday, March 21st at 9 a.m. or in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. Our staff has to be available to patients having an emergency at any time. And on the same token, the patients that we take care of, they are all kinds of people. Emergency medicine teams take care of kids and adults rich people and the less fortunate, people who got hurt or sick incidentally on their very best day, and people who are actively hitting rock bottom in the middle of a series of bad, bad days. And because we are here to see any person at literally any time, we end up also taking care of patients that you could call the otherwise forgotten. Uh, People you could imagine might be more challenging to take care of for one reason or another. The homeless, people with mental health issues, people who are in jail or police custody, people who have issues with alcohol or substance use disorder, everyone. And there are plenty of examples out there where this is really challenging for us, like in certain trauma centers where there's a team taking care of a police officer in one trauma bay, and just across one thin wall or a drawn curtain, another team is actively caring for the person that shot the police officer in the other. And the challenge we face then is to provide the best care to both of those patients without letting our personal emotions, our opinions, or our judgments, or whatever else get in the way of that. And this is not an easy task, but it's the gift that we vowed to give to our patients when we signed up for this job. It's the gift that Jed gave to a patient he found particularly challenging one year on Christmas Eve. This is Jed's story. So I don't have the luxury, like PAs don't have the luxury of a residency like uh, docs do. So uh, I was lucky to be hired um, a year out of school and was super excited to be in the ER. I always wanted to be in emergency medicine. This is great. It's like a small community ER. They do everything there. I'm like, this is the best. And, um, you know, you need a mentor, right? Like, I didn't do a residency. I've, like, read about this in a book and seen it once. And so... One of the guys that worked there that sort of helped me out quite a bit, uh, his name was Bob Braun. Um, Dr. Braun was like, man, he was old as dirt. Like, I mean, like 75 years old. Like, no, I think he had a few years on you, Dan. He was an old guy. Um, And he was just like this hardcore, crusty ER doc, been seeing ER patients since before it was a specialty, you know. And he called me junior and he, you know, bossed me around and, teach me all these cool tricks. And I mean, you get an idea what he was like. Like he climbed Mount Whitney with a colostomy bag, right? Like you could not slow this guy down. He drove like a madman everywhere he drove. Uh, in the, you know, this is before when everybody used to still come in on backboards. It'd be taped down six ways from Tuesday and he'd get all mad about that, you know? And so you had to pay attention if an ambulance came in because he would take people off the backboard and just shoot it out of the room, you know? It was like holes in the walls from where he'd thrown backboards. Uh, so you kind of get an idea of what he was like. And so uh, fast forward to maybe a couple of years later, 
sort of found my feet, you know, and things are going good. It's actually Christmas Eve um, and we're working. It's a little bit busy. I'm getting ready to go home and he's coming in for the night shift. Um, and the, the doc I'm working with is a great guy. And I've got about three, four hours left on my shift. He comes and grabs me and says, hey, dude, I got this bad MVA coming in. This guy has lax everywhere. And if I go in there and sew, it's over, right? Like, I'm gonna, we're going to be in here forever. Like, can you help me out with this guy? I'm like, yeah, sure, I can. I know how to sew. You know, so we go in there and we look at this guy. Uh, we'll just call him Carlos. That's not his real name. But Carlos, like, has a special kind of tequila drunk, you know? Like, you can smell it like two rooms away. You're like, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's got him off the backboard, but he just got lax everywhere and bad lax, like big one across the scalp, one on the face. His left ear was just hanging off like in ribbons kind of, you know? And he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, you know, I might need a little help, but I'll take a whack at it. And he's like, all right, well, he's still got to go to CT. And so, you know, he's kind of, it's like, okay, good, you know, thanks, you know. And so just about that time, one of our sort of frequent flyers comes in, and we'll just call him Bill, also not his real name. Uh, so Bill comes in, and we've known Bill very well because uh, he's there all the time for his big ventral hernia. And it, he's had like six laparotomies that have failed, so he's got this huge ventral hernia, and he hates it. And he's always coming in for this ventral hernia that he wants fixed, and he's like crazy six ways from Tuesday. Except today, on Christmas Eve, he decided that for Christmas, he wants his hernia fixed. And so, to force the surgeon into it, he has stabbed himself with a knife. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, Carlos is in CT. This will be easy, right? You know, pretty straightforward. So I walk in there, and I'm like, Bill, what are you doing? He's like, I got to get this hernia fixed. It's driving me crazy. I can't stand it anymore. So I stab myself. I go, well, how big is that knife? And he grabs a hold of it, rips it out of his abdomen. <laughs> He's like, it's about that big, and stabs himself again, right in front of me. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't do that again, you know? It's just completely crazy. And I'm like, ah! And so we call the surgeon, kind of get him squared away. Carlos comes back from the CT scan. The attending comes in as I'm getting Bill wrapped up and says, hey, CTs are good. It's time to sew. I'm like, all right, great. So I settle in to sew. And have you ever like sutured on a long laceration and you're like, I think they forgot about me, right? <laughs> like you're over in the corner, kind of hot. You got sweat running down in weird places <laughs> that it shouldn't be. And you're like, nobody even knows I'm in here. Like I could probably die. Your back is hurting, you know. Your hands are like macerated from their sweating in the gloves and you're just sewing. And that's what's happening with this guy. He's got all these lacks and I'm just closing and closing and closing. And I'm like, why are they not coming in here? Like, they should be coming in to see if I'm dead, right? Uh, so as we're sewing, um, it's going on forever, and in comes a police officer and puts handcuffs on the guy. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, fatality, so he's, he's going to go. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, do what you do. I'm sewing. This guy's, like, fighting with his wife, arguing, drunk and angry and irritable. Um, and so it's a little challenging, but he's just kind of doing his thing. And then we had this nurse that worked there, Brenda, she'd been an ER nurse for also forever, you know, just kind of hardcore seen everything, you know, and she comes in and I can tell that she's, something is off with her, like she just looks upset, but I'm thinking, okay, now I know I've been in here too long, because if they sent Brenda for me, like, it's time to go, and she walks in and she just says, are you okay, do you need anything, and I'm like, no, uh, uh, and she didn't tell me to hurry up or anything else, and I'm like, 
something weird is going on there, you know. And uh, not too long after that, the attending comes in and his voice is shaky. And I'm like, huh. And he just says kind of the same thing. How's it going? Are you okay? Um, and I'm like, yeah, what's going, what is wrong? What's going on? And he's like, well, you know, everything's fine, you know. And I'm like, no, something's going on. Like, Brenda's in here, looks like she's been crying, and, and you seem upset. And he says, well, you know, it's, it's uh, Bob. Um, you know, he's, he's not doing very well. There's something going on. And, he, you know, he's in a car accident. And I go, what car accident? And he goes, well, uh, you know, he, he was uh, hit by a drunk driver. He's not doing very well. And I go, the police were just in here and said there was a fatality. And he was just kind of quiet. He said, yeah, Bob's gone. And um, this kind of moment, you know, where you don't, you're not really sure what to do with that. Um, and so <laughs> about that time, the patient decided he would be irritable again. And this doc who spoke perfect Spanish uh, says to the guy, um, hey, shut up. You just killed our friend. Uh, and I thought, uh, and uh, was quiet for a second. And then he says, so are you good to finish this? Can you sew this? <laughs> you know? So you have this moment, and I'm like, you know, reality kind of sinks in, like you still have to finish the patient, right? So uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can finish sewing it. So um, I'm working on this guy's ear, and I was kind of struggling with, like, how do I feel about this patient? Before, he was just kind of annoying, and now I really kind of, like, don't know how to feel about this guy. <laughs> I'm sewing this guy's ear, and uh, the police officer comes back in and takes off the handcuff um, off of this guy. And I'm like, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, he's uh, pretty messed up. The jail's not going to take him, so we're just going to cite him out. And I went from feeling very weird about not knowing how to feel about this patient who I maybe didn't like to just being super pissed at him. And like, you know, you see those TV shows where people like have visions of doing crazy things and they don't do them. I'm like thinking to myself, I could take the stapler, just staple the ear to the side, you know, of his head and I'd be done. And uh, I was just super pissed at him. I was super angry. Um, I was angry that he wasn't going to jail. I was angry that, um, you know, Bob was dead and I uh, was just upset. And kind of as an aside, um, I turned those feelings um, around a little bit later and was part of why I became a police officer later on. I, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, anyway, I arrested a crap ton of DUI people. Uh, I mean, that was it. Like, uh, you know, DUIs are evil. And what that really taught me was, like, I had a lot of anger from this. And it taught me that people who get DUIs are not bad people. They just are irresponsible. Um, and I was able to kind of learn, like, this guy wasn't a bad guy. He just made a bad mistake. And sort of move beyond that anger that sometimes we feel angry with our patients. Not just because they're dumb, but, but they do bad things to other people. Um, and learning to sort of let that go and just uh, take care of him. So I finished sewing him up and uh, walk out. The ER is just quiet, like very quiet, which you know is bad, right? And just about that time, uh, the hospital chaplain, who had a beautiful uh, singing voice, um, he came down to the ED and he sang Silent Night. 
you know, we're kind of all upset and we're kind of thinking about this. My shift is over now and I'm going home. We had a, a tradition in our house with our kids where uh, Christmas Eve they would open one present. And so we finished this case up. He sings Silent Night. I go home and I'm sitting in my living room next to my wife. I have these three little kids and they're opening Christmas presents. And I, I am just like struck by the profound weirdness of our job. You know, like you can see this incredible disaster unfold and three hours later be sitting next to your family that's safe and secure and normal and and weird how you have to sort of deal with that. And I never told anybody about it. I never even mentioned it to anybody until a Facebook post when I heard about this podcast. And I just think I didn't know how to explain to anybody like what that is like and how you deal with that. And the only other time I ever have dealt with that type of thing was as a police officer. It's very similar, um, except that they get to take people to jail, right? <laughs> like, we don't get to do that. Um, so it was a really weird experience, but I learned a ton from it. I learned to take something kind of negative and turn it into something positive. I learned that after 30, 40 years of emergency medicine, you're going to be crusty, right? <laughs> and, Crusty is okay, uh, and um, you know, and he was as crusty as they come. But he was like when it came to teaching or mentoring, he was very gentle and a great teacher uh, and a great man. And I've kind of tried to do that, you know, working in education now a little bit too. So it was just a an odd experience that I think we all deal with, but we don't think about very much. Um, and that you sort of take those experiences and you put them into a box, but we don't ever let them out of the box. You just put them in there and you move on. Um, and so I think looking back at that and other experiences that I've had, I think, you know, it's good that there's this kind of thing where you can talk about that and you can let a few things out of the box. And uh, it felt really good to share that post. Uh, and, you know, it feels good to talk about this now, even though never really spoke about it because, you know, first of all, it's upsetting, right? But then you don't want to burden people like, hey, I had this terrible thing happen. Like, it seems weird to talk about it, but I think it's important that we do. There's a lot to be learned from sharing those experiences. Working in medicine can be pretty messed up. Like Jed said, it's almost impossible to explain to people who don't do this job what it's like to balance the experiences we have at work with our own personal life, or how we compartmentalize such insane tragedy, even losing our dear friend or mentor to a drunk driver, and then having to turn around and provide the best care that you can to that drunk driver. I won't lie. Yes, sometimes we get solace from things like the bad guys going to jail or some other sort of justice that we perceive happening in the world to balance out these horrible things that we see. But a lot of the time, we don't. In the example I mentioned of the cop and the person that shot the cop, the two times that I've been involved in a case like that, both times the cop died. And the other shooter, a gang member, they lived. A lot of the time, we don't see stuff that looks like justice or fairness. A lot of the time, the outcomes feel quite the opposite. So how do we cope with that? How do we process it? Where do we put that frustration, that grief, that anger, and that fury? And how in the world do we respond to our calling to rise above it, 
to truly give our all and save and heal every life. Even if we find out that the patient in front of you is the person that just killed your mentor. I honestly don't know the right answer. But I do know that talking about it can help. Realizing that having these feelings isn't unique to any one of us, that we all struggle, and that yes, it really isn't fair that we don't get to react the way that a normal non-medical person would react when we are put face-to-face with these situations. Sometimes it also helps me to think about the longer story of the patient in front of me. After all, they all have, or at least started out with, families and loved ones, friends, people who cherish them. And they likely have suffered through some pretty bad life-ish to have ended up in this situation anyway. And at the end of the day, it's not really up to me. It's not up to me as a doctor to say what or who is right or wrong. As a person, I mean, I know what I believe, certainly, but at work, that's not my job. At work, my task is to diagnose, to relieve pain, to offer clarity, to heal, and sometimes to save a life, any life, every life that I can. And that's actually kind of awesome. I had the privilege of working alongside Jed in my practice for a few years, and honestly, it makes me beyond proud to have a teammate that I know is that good, is capable of putting aside that kind of shock and pain in the moment to continue fulfilling his oath to humanity to do no harm. And as Hippocrates laid out for us, that we have a special obligation to all of our fellow human beings, those of sound mind and body, and those without that. To quote the original physician's oath, may I always act so as to preserve the finest traditions of my calling. And may I long experience the joy of healing all those who seek my help. All of them. This year has been filled with lots of terrible stuff. So much death, so much divisiveness, so much injustice. But at the end of the day, we are all still here. Sharing the same planet, suffering through the same struggles of our time, being challenged with losses that we didn't expect or deserve, but also being given the opportunity to rise above them and more importantly, to be kind with ourselves. Realizing that rising above is a process that can take some time and we don't have to like it. And that's okay. Thank you to Jed Grant for sharing his story with us, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Start at realtalk.transistor.fm or you can follow the link in the show notes for this episode.